I believe God wants us to be successful. And so we, we would like this year for everyone to be united in spirit and truth and be committed to the house. Really committed. And so I'm going to tease that out and I'm going to talk about this. And the title of the message is this, First Things First. Say that, First Things First. The only way I see us being successful this year, and I believe God wants us to grow leaps and bounds. I believe there's more of the facility that we need to build. We're on the point. Literally, I don't know how this happened, but we've been donated all the wood to build the mezzanine level. That's all the offices and a big classroom in that corner. And literally a company, I wish I knew their name, has donated all the timber for that work. And Andrew Dash is going to do the steel work. Thank you, Andrew. And for the work you did for the steel, uh, for the electrical work in the, in the back room. Thank you. And the sale. That is brilliant what you did out there. Excellent. But listen, guys, we cannot lose momentum. We've got we to gotta assume our posture, our position and move forward strongly because time is short. This is what they're saying, that God is accelerating his plans and purposes all over the world. He's actually accelerating things. You can either be in the fast lane of just being busy and trying to do everything in life and juggling everything, or you can get in the slipstream of God's anointing and God's purpose and plan, and you can flow in the power of God, in the anointing of God by faith, and you can see great things, and you can reap a harvest of righteousness of people like, I think two weeks ago, we had eight people saved on Sunday night. My God, I mean, that's accredited to you as righteousness. Eight young people saved on this altar two weeks ago, and that is worth your investment. That is worth your time, your talent, your treasure. That's what eventually you're going to run into when you go to glory, when you stand before Jesus and give an account for your life and what Jesus says there and, and what he says is your reward is virtually all the things that you do for eternity's sake. Is that all right to say? So just balance that up. Invest in all the other stuff, but make sure you're investing in eternity, investing in the kingdom of God, because that's where your true dividends are. That's where your, your pay dirt is at the end of the day. Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures. You ready for that? Got your Bibles? Isaiah 43, verse 19. I've got time. Praise God. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Say new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? Two important words there. Perceive and know it. I'm perceiving and knowing something is going on for C3 Tugger. And will you not give heed to it? We serve, guys, we serve the God of the impossible. If we believe in his word, if we believe in his word and show him that we are truly faithful to him, he's going to do amazing things for us in 2012. The key of 2012, I'll say it to be true, is this, putting God first in all that we do. Come on, C32, who believes in that? Come on, we need to put God first in our words, in our thoughts. I'm finding, now this is, takes a long time to develop, but I'm finding I'm waking up to Jesus. I'm waking up into the presence of God. I'm waking up to the Word of God. I'm waking, it's the first thing. Julie, of course, she wakes up earlier. Kudos to her. But 
um, when I get up, I'm very slow, man. Don't try and talk to me. It's goo goo gaga. It's like, but I tell you what, <laughs> you're like me. Yeah, I tell you what, but when I do wake up, I'm thinking of God. I'm thinking of the God factor, the perspective of God, the God reality. I'm thinking what God spoke to me during the night. I'm thinking who I am in God. I'm assuming my identity all over again as I wake up. Yeah, I'm a God person. No, I'm not the Weepix kid. No, I'm, I'm the God person. I'm spirit filled. I'm a man of God. Yes, Lord. Thank you. What? Yes, Lord. Th- yeah, what? And so Julie tries to cut in on that. And um, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. So she's learned to give me about half an hour at least. I would prefer an hour. She's saying two hours. See, there's a contention already. Two hours, she said. But uh, look, give me an hour and I'll be happy. Just give me an hour to three hours. <laughs> In the scheme of things, the power to change to live your best life doesn't come from your willpower, all you people who had New Year's resolutions. It, there is will, there is the volition of your own will that can make good stuff happen. But it is the supernatural breakthrough power of God that comes into your life, on your life, through your life, when you make God first. Is that right? When you make Him first, bang. You put Him first in every part of your life, your marriage, your, your, your attitude, the words you speak, um, your career, your marriage, your kids, your finances, you put him, you give him first of your energy, first of your time, you give him, see, first, the first hour of the day. If you give him first, you will see God bless your life in a most amazing way. And I believe this year, if we do that, it's going to kickstart 2012 with a wallop if we do that. If we say straight up, I'm going to do the offering at the end and we're going to be all determined at the end of this message to say, Jesus, I place you first in my life. Is that cool? In that way, I'm telling you, peace, provision, promotion, it's going to chase you down, buddy. It's going to chase you down if you do that. You're just going to get better jobs. You know, you're going to find yourself being promoted, you're going to find yourself being provided, you're going to find peace. It's going to happen if you put him first. So let's look at that. Let's check this scripture out. It's in Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, and it talks about the importance of uh, putting God first. And they, you know, we talk about, you know, giving our tithe, the first fruits and and it does say this, and it's a great promise in the Bible. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. Honour the Lord with your capital, your sufficiency from your righteous labours. I hope you're doing righteous things, guys. I hope no one's in the mafia this morning or anyone's any, you know, we've got any hitmen or any, please. Um, uh, or any fruit pickers not paying tax. <laughs> with the first fruits of all your income, so shall your storage places be filled with plenty and your vats shall be overflowing with new wine. You've got you to take the first part of that which you get and you've got to take that and give it to God and say, God, this is before I even touch it, this is yours. And the Bible says the rest becomes holy. Another, thing, another thought I had was that the first thing that you think about is what you really worship. So if you're thinking about stuff all the time, I don't know what 
maybe even a hobby, maybe even something, and, and it's just reoccurring. That's truly what you worship. You know, but if you're thinking about God, you're doing really well. If you're thinking about God all the time, you know, that, that, that's called priority, and priority means what you value the most. Some people put God there. Some people put God down there. Some people put their career up there, God down there. Some people put their sport up there, God down here. Some people put their money up there, put God down there. Some people put their music up there and put God down there. Priority is this, is what you value the most and that becomes the top shelf thing in your life. So, some people like surfing and... um, and, <laughs> and uh, I know he worships God, but as long as you get God on the top of everything, and that is, if you get passionate for this, oh, you've got to get more passionate for God. You know what I'm saying? If you get passionate for that, and yeah, God's all right. Yeah, I do that. I'll get a church. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. God, why do you see that thing? Man? Oh, I've got to get one lay by, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little hint for someone in the house. Colossians 1, 16, verse 18 tells us that all things were created by Jesus through him and for him. This is all about our Lord and how really everything should be focused, around, should revolve around him. Everything is made by him, for him, through him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You place Jesus number one in your life, in your thought life, in your heart, in your marriage, in your finances, in the career, guess what? He's going to hold it all together. It says it there. In him all things hold together. You take that outside the will of God, you'd say, God, thank you for the career. I can uphold this. I can do this. I've, I've earned this ability with my credentials from uni. I will hold this job up. I will sustain it. I will stand in my own anointing, my own authority, my own ability. Jesus, you do what you do best. I'm doing what I do best. No, don't do that. And in him all things hold together so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Do you like that? It doesn't say that in in, in the NIV, does it? But in the CEB it does. So... Just to let you know. So I think making Jesus first is, isn't just a good idea. It's the only idea that works. We're going to have a look at some first mentions in Scripture. We're going to take from a couple of chapters from the Gospel, the first verse of the chapter, and we're going to look at some interesting keys that are in there. And I'm going to ask you to follow me. And it's so interesting to realize how many first mentions of the word give and love are at the start of each chapter of the Gospels. Give and love. And I think that's a real key for us. I think that's a key for us. Giving and loving. Who who, who can get their head around that? Giving and loving. There's no way out of that if you want to live your best life. And if we are going to see the best things happen for C3 Tugra, we've got to place him first in giving and loving and then see God break out in our life. Let's check this out. Let's discover this together. Matthew 10.1 says, He called His 12 disciples to Him and gave them authority. This is in Matthew 10.1. Check this out for first, first mention. This is a real key. These are, the, these are the first things. If you can get your head around this, it would be good. 10, uh, 
chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. Say authority. To drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sicknesses. Folks, in 2012, you need to put on your authority. You need to put it on to face every challenge, even your triumphs. You need to stand in the authority of God. Jesus has given you authority. I'm sorry if you're a pacifist. I'm sorry if you're a very nice person. But God, Jesus, has given you authority. He's, uh, you know, that says in the scripture, in the, in the Great Commission, it says, Jesus came to the disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach everyone what I have commanded and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Every, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. Not, not everyone understands this. And they used to preach about it. The old Pentecostals preachers would preach about this all the time. The authority of the believers... You've got to stand in your authority and you've got to direct traffic around your life. Stop, devil, incoming blessings. Come. Devil, please stop. Ask nicely, next time I'll rebuke you. Come. (laughs) Right. I adjure you in the name of Jesus. Back off. That's what you've got to do when your kids are repeatedly getting sick. See, I'm a nice guy too, but then my voice raises, my authority kicks in, and I used to say to the boys at Penang, boy, do what I've called you to do. Until then, it was Mr. Nice Guy. I'll just appeal with you. If you want what you need, if you want your late night, if you want your pizza, make your bed. Now, if that didn't work, right. If you want your pizza, if you want your late night, make your bed. See how that's different? There's authority in that. Now, when you don't allow the authority to be exercised in your life, you get messed on. You get, you get, and here's another thing. When the preacher doesn't exercise his authority, nothing moves. There's no transaction in the spirit. If I be Mr. Nice Guy all the time, nothing, nothing is moving. Nothing is backing off. Nothing is coming in. If the worship leader is just nice all the time and just says, oh, lift your hands if you want, be nice. No, she will be inspiring you too. The worship leader is a warrior too, inspiring the saints. Come on, guys, let's stand in faith and let's, let's worship the king. Let's give him due honour. That, that's why Spirit-filled Church is a little bit more in your face than the, than, the, than the mainline church, which is a little bit, look, find your own groove in your own style, in your own way. And, but but I, I definitely think Spirit-filled Church is a little bit more inspiring to, to the people to raise up, rise up in spirit and power. Rise up, you people of power. Rise up, you people of power. Remember that song there? And that's what you've got to do. Okay, so, it should be jazz. That's a good version. Let's do that. This morning, just grab your Bibles. And this morning I started to think about authority and I wasn't going to expand on this. But let's just check this out. Faith and authority go hand in hand. Let's have a look at Matthew 
um, chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Let's just look at this together. If you've got a Bible, please. And I'll prove to you, authority is like a twin of, of faith. And here's a story. It's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Then Jesus entered Cabernet. A centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, in a terrible suffering. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Jesus said, look, I'll come and I'll heal, heal the boy. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under... This is centurion is someone that understands what it means to be under authority. He's in an army, he's under authority, and he gives out authority. He understands what authority is, and he understands what the spoken command should do. He understands what the spoken word and how it can move things, dictate, command things to move. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. See that? You've got to just speak the word, folks, and my servant will be healed. Wow, what faith, what amazing faith this centurion has. For, for I am myself a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Say faith. faith. This man had faith. He had faith to believe that in the command of Jesus, that that servant would be healed. Now, let's understand this. In, for the sake of time, Luke chapter 4 says that Jesus walked into the synagogue and he read the scroll out. Did he not? In Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, to, to release the oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This day it's fulfilled. That is the anointing right there, right? It was released right then. And, and of course, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8, Basically, it says Jesus came as a man, stripped himself of divine power. He became a man. But in Acts 10.38, what does it say? Help me. Acts 10.38. Let's look at this. Jesus is a man now. He's just, just like us. But because he's living a holy life, a righteous life, he is enabled, empowered with the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38. This again is about the Spirit-filled church. This is what you can have. It's what we have as, as, as a people of God that make things happen for people's lives. It's the anointing. So let's look at this. Acts 10.38. Someone needs this this morning. Acts 10.38. Jesus, uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing. Who wants to go around doing good and healing? Anyone like me? wants to lay hands on the sick and do some good and see people healed. All who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. The anointing was with him. So Jesus performed miracles by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit. And John 3.8, is it 1 John 3.8? I think it is. 1 John 3.8. So this is the reason, I think this is the scripture that talks about uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That is exactly why he came. And can I, can I um, 
suggest to you and even say that I believe that's why we're saved. To be anointed. To heal people. With faith, with authority. I think it, Ali Thompson just lost her auntie. She's about 50. She died of cancer. Sister-in-law, was it? They're really grieving. Jason and Natasha. I think, I think the mum's gone down to Goulburn to be with Natasha. They really grieve. Cancer took her out. I don't know about you, but for 2012, I would like to pray against cancer in certain people's lives that come by this church and in your life even. And I, and I say this, that we need authority and faith in that day to command that cancer to bow its knee in Jesus' name and relinquish its hold on our people, our loved ones. And if you have any heart or any compassion for your friends and family, you need to assume faith and authority and pray and believe that what God has given you in this vested power that God has given to you when you were saved, you need to exercise it. You need to exercise it and believe it and declare it to be true that that cancer is from the devil and it goes in Jesus' name. Who's the, who believes that? Come on. You were sick for three weeks, sis, I believe. Peter, you were sick, man. I hope we had some people praying for you, coming against that diabolical thing. We had a friend that actually was taken out by pneumonia only five, six weeks ago. And so that's why we need the anointing. That's why we need faith. Praise God. Here's another one. Mark 1, 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Does it say that up there? Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel. Man, you know, it's just the beginning of the gospel. Let's, let's try and get this gospel out. And, and that's the beginning for all those eight people that were saved. That's the beginning because... The gospel leads people to Jesus. Does it say that? The gospel leads people to Jesus. And then Jesus has their best life in store for them. So really, it's the beginning. The gospel is the beginning of this wonderful, fantastic life for us all. We've got to believe that we can get the gospel out to our friends and family in 2012 and see them begin their journey in God and to meet Jesus, especially through the gospel. Here's another one, Luke 15:1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. These were tax collectors, sinners, people like you and I when we, before we got saved. And, um, you know, they were inquiring of Jesus. How many friends have you got that are maybe sinners and tax collectors? That were, they were just like us, but they're... They're inquiring. They're inquiring about Jesus and they're maybe even willing to come to church and camp around the words of Jesus. Let's pray, Jules, that in 2012 that we got the words of Jesus, not the words of man, but the words of Jesus because there's people coming in, hearing God in the airways. They've never even been to church. They don't even want to know about church, but they're picking up. Jesus, I, I, I think I might go to church this morning. Did you see that sign, C3 Tugger? Yeah, let's go. Let's check it out. I pray that when they walk through the, the doors there and gather around Jesus, that they hear the words of Jesus and they get saved. Amen? Let's believe that. Yeah. John 1.1. 1, 1. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Got a lot of people saying, I'd love to meet God, I'd love to meet Jesus and have some personal consultation with Him. But do you know what the Bible says? The Word is God. It's all there. God's in there. Everything He needs to share with us, everything He wants to share with us is in there. You can go face to face with God through the Word. Let's have a look at this. And I think this is where a lot of our church is at. John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Does that help some people? So basically, God has revealed Himself totally through this Bible. And if you want to know any more about Jesus or about God or about who you are in God, and if you do want to go face to face with God, go to the Bible. There it is there, man. Beautiful stuff. Nuggets of truth, revelation, knowledge, profound mysteries under Christ of who you are, why you're on this planet. Why am I on this planet? Help me. There it is. It's in there. It's in there. Your identity, who you truly are. Your best life is in the Bible. You've got to go to it this year. You've got to find it, buy some highlighters, watch Joyce Meyer, watch everything you can, listen to it. Oh, get a new appetite for the Word of God. Change your appetite from DVDs to God's Word. From nonsense and gossip to God's Word. Sorry, I'm fasting that. God's Word. What would you say? No, I'm not interested. God's Word. And you become authorised, deputised, faith. And you become that man and woman of God that we all need you to become. Do you understand? It's the Word of God. You cannot deny it. You need it. Okay. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of delivery. Yoke of slavery, I should say. I'll say it again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. What an amazing thing it is to be free. I am set free from my emotions. I am set free from every burden, every circumstance, every illness and sickness, every depression, every debt and doubt. I am set free. I have freedom you no longer to be a, you don't need to be a slave of that. Oh, this is what I do. You know, I just, I get ugly on people every now and then. No, you don't have to do that. I just get angry and, no, you don't have to do that. I get depressed. No, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I just get fleshy. No, you don't have to do that. You're not a slave to that. You're free. That's the best thing I could tell you for 2012. You are free. You are free from the diabolical plans of the enemy. The devil's got some plans for you for 2012. Sorry. I'm free of that. He has no hold on me. Nothing. I am not encumbered to him in any way. Sorry. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has set me free. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm spirit-filled, born again. I've got God. I'm a child of God. I love that. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, rolling through nicely. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you know if there's one language that unbelievers and believers understand, it's the language of love. Even unbelievers understand the language of love. You don't have to be even a believer. Guys, we need to get our love on. We need to walk in love. Otherwise, the world will rub off on us and we will become deprived of that love. We should be the influencers, not being influenced to be living as a pluralist. It's me and myself, maybe my family. That's it. Blow you, Jack. No. You live in a community. You got love. You care for people. You love people. Without love, we're not going to be able to influence the world. Now, here starts my giving message. So, on your chairs, you'll see envelopes. We're going to come to a place to give to the Lord after I speak this. And this is something I grabbed on my Christian TV station that I thought I would share with you. And it is about how do we, how do we care, how do we love, how do we care and love for these people outside of these four walls? Pastor Phil, you're speaking a message of basically giving and loving. How do I do that? I don't really care about too many other people. I don't really care about that sister's cancer. I don't know what it is. I might be hard of heart, but I just feel like I am unable to offer any any assistance, any solution. So with indifference, but with some slight sympathy, I must turn my back and I must walk my own way. When we are spirit-filled, I want to say to you and propose to you that when you were spirit-filled, you were given an ability to love other people. And in the love of other people and wanting them to be blessed with what you have, especially in salvation and all the necessities of life, you then, you then have a compassion for poor people. I think Ali's trying to drum up some more uh, people for the Gosford feeding the homeless. Is that right? She's trying to say, and I saw that on Facebook, please, if there's anyone who would like to go to Gosford, has a heart, has a burden for the people in Gosford, the homeless, see Katrina and put your name down and that would be great. I want to... I want to propose to you that if you are spirit-filled, that you do and should have a burden for the lost, for the poor, for the needy, for the lonely. But if you don't, I would suggest to you that maybe you are not spirit-filled. Let's prove it to me, Pastor Phil. Let's have a look at it. Scripture in Leviticus 19 verse 9. I want to talk about the Pentecost, just for four minutes, I want to talk about the old version of the Pentecostal festival. And he says, and this festival was all about celebrating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Is that right? Um, help me, Dan, 50 days after the Exodus, Moses walks up 
Mount Sinai is given the tablets, the word of God. Moses comes down, find them building a calf, worshipping false gods and I think 3,000 people were slain and killed in that God's judgment. It's basically, that becomes the Pentecostal or Pentecost feast and festival that they celebrated in the Old Testament. And so, of course, it goes like this. He says in this, he says, if you really are thankful, I want you to do this. This is God. God made these rules up. And he said this in Leviticus 19 verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. This is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 to 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard or a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. It was basically a thank you festival. And God was basically saying, look, if you're really thankful, I want you to leave what is left after the harvest and I want you to leave it for the poor and the needy. I don't want you to collect it all. I want you to leave it for the poor and the needy. That tells me you are really thankful. So let's go, to, let's go back to the day of Pentecost. And guess what? It's 50 days after Jesus died. 40 days he was seen walking around. Then they waited in the upper room 10 days. That's 50 days. This is the day of Pentecost. Guess what? The Holy Spirit came. And this is what happened. This is what happened to those people. And guess what? 3,000 people were saved, not smitten by God. 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. But this was the result. So the Jews are looking back and they're saying this... They, they reckon this is these Christians. They reckon this is the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. We'll determine that. We know what is the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. We know what we do. We don't glean to the edges of the paddock. We leave it for the poor. So that tells God that we care for the poor. We're giving thanks to God, but we're saying, God, we care for your people. We will see, these Jews are saying, we will see if this is a fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. Guess what happens, guys? The Jews are looking on. And this is the scripture in Acts chapter 2, 42. On the day of Pentecost, um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This is what happened after the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the the apostles. This is actually all about the birth of our type of church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now here it is, guys. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Do you see that? They sold, they were... Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The fulfillment of the day of Pentecost was this, that they become carers of other people. They become so smitten by God, so empowered by God that they said, Hey buddy, what do you need? Do you need salvation? Here, have salvation. Do you need some food? Have some food. Hey, let's sell that up and let's give that to them. And they started to become carers. The Jews were looking back and said, my God, 
It's the fulfillment of the Pentecost festival. It's the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. They have become people who care for others and radical givers and radical lovers of their community around them. This proved to the Jews that the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit was true. The number one facet, I want to suggest to you, the number one facet of a Spirit-filled believer is this, that you can give, that you care, and that you love others. And in that, that's entirely and everything the reason why we give to God. When we say tithes and offerings, when we say vision builders, we mean souls. We mean reaching out even to Thailand with our missionaries and into Africa with Peace Radio. We're reaching out into the Wyong High Schools. We're talking about the SG Youth Group. We're talking about eight souls being saved on Friday night. Every time someone tries to take an offering up here and do their darndest to move hearts, it's all about souls. And when you're spirit-filled, you go, you know what? I'm going to give to that. I'm going to give my tithe to C3 Tugra. I'm going to give what I can to the vision builders. That is the mark of a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled believer. You can start filling your envelopes out right now. If you're moved by other people, if you're moved by us wanting to reach people, if you're moved with compassion to see people get what you've been given, salvation, freedom, peace. If you're moved by that and want to see more people blessed by that, that's entirely the whole reason why we give. And guess what? The Bible does say, if you give, press down, shaken together, runneth over, it's going to be measured back to you. If you can be, if you can be um, responsible with that, God's going to go, I'm going to get more to that guy. He knows how to give. Marty, he knows how to give. Andrew, he knows how Candace and Luke, they know, give them more. Promotion, give them more. Does that help? So in 2012, we're going to put God first in our giving. We're going to put God first in our thoughts. We're going to put God first in our words. We're going to put God first in our marriage, in our family. We're going to put God first in our career, we're going to give him the best of our energy, the best of our time, the best of our finances. And we're going to see this church do amazing things in 2012 and the people of God saved.